There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing it can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Good day to you. I am in my kitchen at home, just um, a very exciting job. I'm emptying the dishwasher. It's funny, isn't it, when you've got a dishwasher, that even those things become the chore, like emptying and loading it, even though definitely quicker than washing up. Uh, Mickey is currently watching YouTube Kids. Hey, Mickey. And showing me... Oh, OK, cool. And showing me which mash of the bear toys he would like. Cause his cons- I'm talking to the people listening to my podcast. The people, the person listening to my podcast. Um, I'm not saying there's only one of you, but chances are you're not listening to it in a group. <laughs> be quite weird, though, if after all this time there was just literally one. Mommy. Yes, Mickey. Yeah, you are. Um, and we have been doing some Lego this morning. It's been nice. Richard's away, so it's just me. It's been away all week. Just me mashing the bear toys. Very, very cool. So are. Uh, I always, yeah, right. I always say yes. He's not really going to get any of them. But his consumerism as well and truly kicked in at these three. Yep, in a minute. I'm just going to finish this and then I will. Um, I'm also baking a cake. Now, maybe you guys bake all the time, but for me, baking a cake is a very unusual thing. So I'm looking at the cake. It's looking pretty good, actually. How do you know when it's done? The recipe said 25 to 30 minutes in the oven and it's been in there for 26. Is that enough? Do I press it? What do I do? Um, actually, the fact that I'm baking a cake is a tiny clue to a guest that I've just spoken to this week and I will put the episode out in a couple of weeks. Hmm, who likes to bake? Who knows cakes? Me! <laughs> yeah, we love cakes, don't we? Okay, great. I didn't like that cake. You don't like that cake? All right, thanks for that. This week I speak to... Oh, I really got on so well with her on, uh, on the chat. Sarah Beanie. So I've 
I've always really had a soft spot for Sarah Beanie, one of those people. I've loved her programs, her property, not property, property programs, um, and her approach to things. I've always just found her really likable. I've really enjoyed watching her on telly. And so I was really keen to talk to her. Also, she happens to have four sons. So when I first started having lots of boy babies, people would say to me, oh, oh, like that Sarah Beanie. She became like the sort of poster mum for mother of sons. So that was a nice connection. And then as we talk about in our chat, between the time that I approached her and said, would you like to come and do my podcast and actually recording the podcast, she very, uh, well, it's a very scary thing, got diagnosed with breast cancer and she very generously let me talk to her about that and about how it felt to get the diagnosis but about her perspective on it which um very typically of her but also very happily um she's you know thinking of it like a blip because she's had a very good prognosis and sounds like she's got an amazing team around her so thank you to her for talking to me about that because you know my podcast is about being a working parent you don't have to talk to me about your health completely you know those things can be really private and personal but I think when you do talk about it I'm sure it's really helpful for other people I know it's really helpful for me to think about how that might feel because you can't help can you but put yourself in that situation if it's a situation you haven't been in before so thank you so very much to Sarah for that and I think you're going to love our chat because she just comes across as such a lovely woman and we had to record it on zoom but it was all very smooth this time and no tech problems which is a bloody relief and I'm really yeah grateful to her for her time I think you're gonna like it and I will let you know how my cake turned out on the other side all right let's have a speech in a minute bye thank you so much for giving me time today um basically ever since I first started having lots and lots of boy children uh, you were like the person that was always referred to to me, like of like somebody who'd gone before who'd had lots of boy children. So <laughs> like my poster person, my mother of <laughs> Well, sons. you've got a lot of boys. You've got one more than me, so I'm I'm feeling slightly inadequate actually. Happy <laughs> well. off. You know what it's like. It's just more of the same. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, they um they're good though. I think you want what you want you get, don't you? Yeah, I think you're end. right. I, I always say that to people actually. Like family is kind of like how the cards fall. And then, yeah. and you never can imagine life any other way when they're yours, can you? No, and I mean, you kind of know you're lucky, don't you? Although lots of people are lucky for not having children and having other children, but well, you just want what you've got. Yes. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, that's it's magic. Exactly it. And so, am I speaking to you? Are you in Somerset right now? Yes, yes. I um, We moved here about four years ago. Um, so, yeah, it was just before lockdown. Someone did say to me, did we actually plan lockdown? I didn't actually plan lockdown at all, but, uh, <laughs> no, but it was very convenient. <laughs> I'm not going to credit you with that, don't worry. <laughs> no, no, because that, that would be quite powerful, wouldn't it? It'd be really powerful. And you'd be very ashamed, actually. I'd have to slightly reconfigure that. how I think of you, actually, if, if that had been completely your doing. But it would be a very good scoop for the podcast, so... <laughs> yeah. If I actually admitted that I organised the whole thing. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. But we were very, very lucky to... Uh, to be in the countryside and um yeah yeah you make me feel a little bit guilty because I'm a city person and I'm raising my kids in the city but I do think that children make a lot of sense in wide open spaces and every time I've heard you speak about your move to Somerset it makes me think that's probably something I should be doing 
<laughs> no, definitely not. I don't think you should. I think there's different paths. I mean, I, I suppose as a person, I have a bit of a tendency to to make a decision and then decide that decision was right because there's no point in making a decision and deciding it was wrong because yeah. then you'd really hate yourself. So, um, yeah, I tend to be like like holding a banner for whatever I happen to be doing. So I'm sure if I was in London still, I'd be saying, yes, everyone should live in London. You should never move to the country. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I really relate to that. I'm, I'm like that with decision-making. Um, that thing of sort of making a decision and then having all of it sort of fenced off so that it was the right decision. I think it's quite it's quite a helpful way to be with things, isn't it? Yeah, I think so because I think um, otherwise you sort of live with regrets, and there's always a different edit to every story, isn't there? I yeah. always think I always think there's something really fascinating about the fact that whatever story that someone tells, and if, if you went on holiday with someone and came back and told them someone about your holiday in one minute, and they told someone else about uh, the holiday in one minute, they would be different holidays. So there's yeah. an edit that you can. You can make for anything in life and, you know, ultimately the king of the future is the editor. And so just edit your life how how it, it's easiest. Yes, I think. no, I totally agree with that. And I think, it, it, I think for me, I've always been really, the idea of regret is probably one of the emotions I'm the most scared of. Just, yes, totally. But you only regret things you don't do, not things you do do. You learn from things you do do, I think. Yeah, I But you think only that's regret true. things when you think, oh, I should have done that. Yeah. So you should just do everything, shouldn't you? Which is probably why you've got so many children. Yes, ditto. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, so what was happening in your life when you first became a mum? What was going on at that time? Well, um, I, so I've been with my my husband now since we were met when we were really little so um well not really little but 18 and 19 so I think we've that's been pretty uh, young. dating sorry that's pretty young 18 and 19 yeah it is well looking back on it I thought I was terribly grown up at the time and I <laughs> you know I remember people saying gosh you're very young and I was thinking what are you talking about I'm young I'm terribly old but looking back now actually it is quite young <laughs> so so yeah but we've been um together for about 10 years and um and We'd had a property business, so we had a development company and a rental investment company. Um, and and then out of the blue, someone called me and asked me if I wanted to do this telly show. And I kind of went, OK. So I, I did. And then we just bought um, a building at risk, actually, in Yorkshire called Rise Hall. Um, it was sort of a bit of a passion project. It was I was really fascinated in buildings, uh, listed buildings, and why they fall into disrepair. And it's something that Graham and I have always been interested in because, you know, obviously if it's in an area where with, um, if it's an area where there's lots of money, then people do things to them. But the area we bought Rice Hall in, uh, nobody wanted it. So it just stood empty because the cost of the repair was greater than the cost, the value of the building and nobody wanted it in that area. So we bought it. Um, and I guess when I had Billy, my eldest, we bought that. I started doing telly and... And then, um, and then we had Billy. So that was kind of everything changes when you have a baby, doesn't it? It does. And so you, you it sounds like you'd just taken on quite a big thing, though, if you just bought Rise Hall and and just started doing TV around the same sort of time. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> well, it was really. It was, but you don't plan children, really, do you? And I don't think I had any idea. I don't know. I don't know quite what I expected from children, but um, but I didn't. It wasn't like I had a life plan, you know. I didn't kind of go, right, at this age, I'm going to have a baby. I was just doing stuff and it, opportunities came and I said yes to them. And, and actually, mainly, I had, 
I suppose I, I said to Graham after 10 years, look, if, if you're going to... He kept talking about this wife and I'd say, is this wife going to be me or is it someone else? Because if it's <laughs> going to be someone else, could we kind of like split up now? Because, you know... And, <laughs> yes, please let and me after, know if it's not me because it's just, yeah, I should probably know. Yeah. I thought it'd be really untidy if he, you know, always... He always said, when I'm married, and I was like, who, who is this? Anyway, I said, look... Um, I was kind of 29 and I said, look, you know, either we could get married or I could have a baby. Which would you like? <laughs> and he decided to get married, but I got pregnant anyway, so that was fine. <laughs> so then Billy came along. But, um, yeah, and then then everything changes and nothing changes, sort of, weirdly, at the same time. Or do you think, because for some people, I think if they have been together quite a long time like that, it is something that it really changes the dynamic. And then for other people, I suppose it's like they just sort of take the baby on the journey with them. Um, but it sounds like maybe it was more that for you. Um, it was in a way. I do remember, I remember being pregnant and um, and I was about sort of eight months pregnant and, and someone talked about NCT classes and I thought, oh, I better ring them. And I rang and, and I said, oh, could I book into an NCT class? And they said, oh, we've got them for for next January. And I was like, oh, God, I'm giving the birth in four weeks. <laughs> oh, you've missed it. So I sort of missed all that. I just, I don't know, I just it wasn't organised enough. So it, I guess um, it did, it really, I suppose it really shocked me how um, it's quite an overwhelming responsibility when you have a baby. And I, I, do, I do remember feeling really, really overwhelmed. And I did cry quite a lot because I just thought, where's the grown-up? Like, who's... Where are the grown-ups who are going to fix stuff when it goes wrong? And then you look at this little baby that you think, oh, my goodness, he's all mine, but what happens if I can't do it? Or, you know, you've always had a grown-up who fixed stuff before, haven't you, somewhere? Yes. Or another. Yes. Even if it wasn't your grown-up, some grown-up will fix it. <laughs> but suddenly you think, oh, I'm the grown-up here. Yeah, I think I even get that now sometimes with, you know, when you, you realise that in the story of my kids childhood I'm I'm the mum in that story and it's quite it's sort of quite overwhelming isn't it because nothing fundamentally shifts you're just getting older and a bit more experience and and winging quite a lot of it aren't you <laughs> <laughs> totally totally and sometimes I think um you know we talk sometimes I, it's quite hard work being a good parent it's much easier not being a good parent and just having a laugh and and um so I suppose I found it a bit and quite often my husband will say, look, you need to parent them. And I'm like, oh, God, it's so boring. Can't we just have fun? It's, it is quite boring being, you know, the things you've got to do, like be really strict about stuff and, and, and then they complain. And, and you just want to just, you know, I often think, you know, I, I get, I'm not, I sort of get a bit carried away with things like, um, you know, really late night, I don't, going to the theatre that's inappropriate for their age. And I just think, oh, let's just go anyway. Or <laughs> I take them to, like, go and see a band or something and they're the only children under 18 and I'm like yeah but just it doesn't matter does it which is probably really bad parenting and it's a Sunday night and they've got school the next day or you know those are the sort of things I really struggle the fact that I keep thinking I should actually just parent here not just go and have fun yeah but I would argue that still is parenting because actually the opposite of doing the strict thing isn't necessarily doing fun things is actually probably not being at all engaged and you're still wanting to introduce them to things and hang out with them and do stuff it's just that you've 
got it in your head that the expectation is they're supposed to be, you know, prepared for the next day and in bed lights off by nine or whatever it is. But I'm not, I'm not really keeping to that either. Um, I don't think that's the opposite of good parenting, though. I don't think it is. And that's quite interesting, actually. That's, you know, well, it's good to know that you're not either. So <laughs> you're in the same team. But, um, but yeah, you're probably right, actually. It probably isn't. At least you're doing something with them, aren't you? But Yes. Yeah, and I think um, I've always had it in my head where there's uh, a, a woman just like me and she's got everything very similar to me, except that she's just nailing it all a bit better. And I think the pressure of that is is really tough. Although then I did interview um, Jules Oliver and it turns out she is the woman who's been in my head because she does know it all and then her house is really tidy. And I was like, oh, oh my God. I've realised it's... It, I said it to her, I was like, oh, it's been Jules Oliver's the one been living in my head. But aside <laughs> from Jules in there, there isn't another... That they, they, you know, they're never, it's never exactly the same circumstance that's going on in someone else's life. No, and actually also, I do think women have this weird thing. I, well, I, maybe not all women. I can't have for all women. But, but um, I do think... We put a lot of pressure on ourselves, actually, because somehow we think we have to be everything to everyone. And and to be a really brilliant... Someone said this to me years ago, and I thought, it's so true. To be a really brilliant um, woman, you have to be a fantastic mother and a really great wife, and you have to have a beautiful home and a great career, and you've got to look fantastic, and you've got to be really fit, and you've got to be fun, and you've got to be interesting. And to be a great man, if you kiss your kids good night like once a week then you're considered pretty brilliant and but I don't know who's judging that I sort of think we almost are judging ourselves because I feel terribly I mean guilt I embraced when I had children like nothing on earth and I feel guilty if I miss a you know like them standing up and saying something at school I feel guilty if I'm not at work I feel guilty all the time I think oh god I should be doing more for I don't know why I feel so guilty because I don't think men feel so guilty Definitely not, sure not, definitely not. And it's, as you say, it's sort of almost handed to you, isn't it? As soon as you become parent, it's like part of motherhood, like, okay, and now here's the guilt, little rucksack for your back. And I think that's probably why I started, you know, having these conversations is because I'm still, you know, 18 years down the line from having my first baby, I'm still working that relationship out a little bit and and giving better space to my working life. Um I don't think I've always been very good at giving that enough room. But with your so with your work, how do you sort of set that off if you're if you're going off to do, you know, filming or you're engaged in a project? Do you do you talk to the kids like do you just like involve them with what you're up to or how do you make it so you feel a bit better about that? Um yeah, I've been well I'm really lucky because we have a really open talky home and and they I talk about everything with them probably more than they want actually because they're probably like oh god do shut up but I talk to them about absolutely everything including you know every any business any contract any anything that goes on in my head it comes out and they have to listen to it sometimes they are a bit bored by it. Um, <laughs> but but it means that they have quite a uh, I think they have a quite a broad understanding of lots of things because I'm involved in loads of things so here we've got a farm and then we've got a property business and then there's telly and then there's radio and writing stuff and you know we've got various web businesses as well and all those things I talk to them about all of it so um I probably talk too much to them but it means they have a very um wide understanding um I mean they're all dyslexic all my children so they don't read much but verbally they're um really emotionally and verbally they're really capable mm-hmm. of 
all thoughts really and conversations. So I can talk to her about, you know, stocks and shares and, and I, I could talk to them about anything. So I think having something, I suppose if you tell them about everything, then everything you're thinking is a conversation. Whereas if you don't tell your children anything, most of the conversations that you could have with them, they wouldn't understand, so you couldn't talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm like you, I talk to them about everything. Um, so like this morning, I was telling them I was going to speak to you today, and you know they know everything I'm up to, and I, I'm a bit of a stream of consciousness. But sometimes they'll talk back to me about something or mention something I mentioned last week, and I'll be like, oh, they were actually listening. That's quite nice. <laughs> I don't always know it's yeah. going in. <laughs> yeah, I think boys listen more than you think, actually, because when you do engage, very often one of my kids will say, when they get back from school, they'll say, oh, how was that meeting today? Like like you say, and actually I think that's kind of, and they're really quite interested, not always in everything, obviously. I mean, they're not saints, but um, but it's sort of, I mean, I'm kind of interested in their lives and it's it's like a good grounding for life. I think there's something weird in... in um, Particularly in the UK, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but it used to happen where, maybe it does actually happen, where you educate children and they do this education and suddenly at 18, you you say, what, what do you want to do for a living? So what are you interested in? And and they go, well, I don't know. Because I, I sort of think actually life is a, it doesn't, you don't just have education to 18 and then suddenly go, right, now you're going to have a career mm-hmm. and what do you fancy? You should be, if you discuss everything along the way, life should sort of, flow rather than have staccato points and um I did this exercise in my head that um we were in a restaurant once and I thought um we were talking about different people's jobs and I said imagine how many people's jobs would be responsible for this restaurant how many jobs could you do if you wanted to be involved in this restaurant and so you've got the like the people who design the lighting fit the lighting design the chairs fit the chairs the people who design the menu the cook the waiters the you know, the builders, the electricians, all these people, the marketing people, the website people. And and you could think of sort of 150, 200 jobs wow. just that mm. you could be involved in in that restaurant. And if you think about that, I think when I was young, I didn't really know there were so many jobs out there. And the great thing about working in the media is um, I come across... And you, I bet you've done it where you come across someone who does something and you think, oh, my goodness, I didn't know that was a job. That So I met the guy who provided all the candles for the Harry Potter films. Oh, wow. He had the contract. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Like, and he had a team of 12 or 10 or something that were just... Because they all had to be proper candles, lit, cut down, and lit every scene, wow. every you know, shot. And that was what he did. And I was like, God, who would have thought that was a job? That's yeah. amazing. Also, up until then, he was obviously just selling candles and then he gets that contract and you're like, yes. It's a massive franchise. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, how big is the hall? <laughs> yeah, it must be and you so need pleased. candles in all of the bedrooms? It's like, yeah, this is amazing. Hogwarts yeah. is literally lit by candlelight. That's the, you got the big contract. The big candle. Con- all the other candle makers were like, Argh. <laughs> <laughs> I expect so, yes. yeah. <laughs> They're looking at the scenes and they're going, that candle wouldn't have burnt that much by then. You know, they're like, they're probably really analysing the candles as well. <laughs> <laughs> they've overcut that one the wick's too long or something I don't know yeah. <laughs> criticisms yeah. angry criti- from yeah. other candle makers candle criticisms yeah that, that'll be happening as well you've got the central <laughs> jobs then you get all the people that are annoyed about those people getting those jobs they, they wanted those jobs but that's really true and actually when I was you know listening, like reading up about your relationship with your job 
I saw that you'd actually had some jobs when you were probably in your late teens or things like you said you, you sold um, vacuum cleaners and that everybody should do it because it's really humiliating. <laughs> I suppose you've got to build in those jobs as well, the jobs you do where you think, I'm really learning something here, like, yeah, I don't want to do this again. Yeah, I, I think it is. It's, um, well, those jobs are the, and that's really hard because I did those jobs when I was young because I was, I was very thirsty for independence mm. and I wanted my own money. And so I washed up in the little chef, which didn't, didn't really exist anymore, but that was kind of a quiet... Not such a great job. They're the place but, that um, had real had plates and real, real fork, knives and forks, didn't they, little chefs? They were like, it wasn't like a takeaway one, was it? It was proper cutlery and everything, yeah. Oh, yeah, super posh. It yeah. <laughs> I remember little chefs. Yeah. yeah, they had really, really disgusting, um, horrible puddings, which are sort of like like that. It's sort of, they, they were like apple pancakes, but there definitely was no apple. It was like <laughs> the gungy stuff yeah. that went in a pancake. Really disgusting. <laughs> Best for fry up, to be honest. But um, but I think those jobs um, make you driven in a way. And I I don't know quite what's happened because my eldest is eighteen. I think your eldest is eighteen, isn't? That's it? right. Yeah. Yeah. Is he just doing his last year, or is he is he a year behind? Yeah. So he's got another year. He's just started his last year now. Yeah. yeah so Billy's one year ahead. Right. But um, and I kind of looked at him. So he's in his gap year now, which is brilliant. I'm like, okay. It's, called unemployed Billy but um but um it's hard because you know jobs nowadays there were more jobs around when I was young and I I don't know what happened along the way for those sort of like the paper rounds you could do I mean he has worked he's worked worked in the pub which is great but but um I think there were more it was a bit more casual work from 14 onwards you Mm. could just go and get a job just turn up and say can I get a job and they'd give you some cash and you know, there's no, it's more complicated now, I think, to get for young people to get jobs. I think you? you're right, actually. Yeah, I think it is more complicated. And it's it's interesting because I know that when you finished school, you just went, you didn't go to university or anything, did you? You just sort of hit the ground running with this sort of fire in your belly. And I think for a lot of um, teenagers I'm speaking to now, they don't seem to have that same thing of just like just getting out into the world. And they're a bit more daunted by how to get access to the jobs they want. Well, I think a lot of that is confidence. And and um, so I think, I mean, I, I personally, there's great things about the internet and there's downsides to it. And and I think that social media undermines people's confidence because you can't rub stuff out as well as, you know, you can, if you make a bit of a, you know, fuck up, you can, you used to be able to just go, oh, I was so stupid then. Now it's all there. It's recorded. It's there forever. So yeah. I think that's really hard. Definitely. Um, and I think you're always judging yourself against other people and I look back now and think when I was 18 I don't think I I think I looked in the mirror in the morning and maybe if I brushed my teeth and then I didn't know what I looked like all day and there was no recording of it because no one took photos so Mm. I don't know what I look like whereas now it's recorded all day every day and that's huge amount of pressure and so I think um I think it is I think it's hard to also you know everything you know you you just, I remember my first jobs, you just get on a bicycle, turn up at all the local places, like at the local hotel, local pub, and say, do you want anyone to work? And they'd say, yeah, turn up at seven. Now you've got to, you know, you've got to have your CV and you've got to, you just get a job in those days. You just, I don't know quite why it was so simple, but it was quite simple, wasn't it? I think you're right, actually. Yeah, because I, I kind of had like Saturday jobs and Sunday jobs and all that kind of thing. And now it just seems like, as you say, it's much harder to get access to all- There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Going back to your relationship with, with what you do, do you still have the same love with, with like property and renovation that you've always had? Um, yeah, I don't think it ever goes away. I think my, I, I love the concept of property for two reasons. One, I, I'm really fascinated in people and how they live and why they live the way they do. And I mean, people are so interesting, aren't they? I mean, they just, everyone's interesting. And, and I think um, how people live, I do think the way your home is can affect your mental state and, and how you feel. I think you know, that that having, um, and it doesn't have to be, a, you know, I'm so fortunate here. We've got an amazing house and a lovely farm. It's gorgeous. But um, so it doesn't have to be big or grand, but how you live, you know, you, you look at people who are struggling and um, and often there is a lot of chaos around. And I have a lot of chaos, but, you know, chaos doesn't, doesn't make for an easier life, I don't think. And so I'm fascinated in how people live. Um, I also quite like dealing and property is dealing and that's quite fun. I quite like that element to it. And yeah. the fact it's always different. Every every site is different, every even if the building is the same, you know, the foundations are different or the or the contracts are different or something's different. You learn every single day and I, I like learning because I get really bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can imagine that the curiosity for it, like it's endless, isn't it? As you say, people are fascinating and the stories that our homes tell about us is really interesting because they probably betray a whole wealth of things beyond just stuff you like and stuff you, you know, how you've, where you've put the furniture and how you move around your home. And I think that's endlessly interesting too. And I think when you spoke about chaos can sometimes be a representation of things that are, you know, people not feeling very happy. But similarly, when people haven't, they don't feel confident about putting their personality into their environment. I think that's really interesting as well. I suppose, you know, we're lucky if we have a kind of language for how we want to feel when we walk into a room because not everybody knows how to make that, access that feeling when they set up their home. Yeah, so, so true, I think. That's um, yeah, really true. Also, I don't think people judge people as much as they think. Um, so I, I don't think I've ever been to someone's house and thought, oh gosh, that's a bit untidy. I don't like them. In fact, in fact, quite the contrary. Yeah. I think um, I've gone to some people's houses where it's literally all out of a magazine. I think, oh gosh, I better not sit down. Oh, I don't know. Whereas you go to someone, I've got a lovely friend, and she was got, she's always got chickens on the worktop, and you know it's absolute chaos everywhere. And I just think, oh god, actually, yeah. actually, she's just so welcoming and warm and lovely, and um, and so her chaos isn't 
isn't sort of nasty chaos. It's just, it's just sort just of... Just like life. Yeah, yeah, it's just life. I also, I think um, a home, to me, I love, I love a home where everything has a bit of a story. Mm. So I love seeing people's homes where they say, oh, that was my granny's and that I got when we were at a junk shop and, oh, that was an old bit of wood that I found on the beach and painted it or something. And and that's, I think when it's all, I often think when you see an interior designed home that's all been bought at the same time, and I think it sort of looks nice for a hotel, but I guess, I, there's, you can feel there's no, you know, a, a person is multi-layered and so a home, yeah, there's something nice about a squashy sofa with a stain on it, isn't there? Definitely. And I think that thing of, um, as you say, of like the stories around you and, I think it's good for your your head as well to to see little bits of your little chapters of your life reflected back when you look around, or at least that's how I like it. For some people, they'd probably think I've got way too much stuff, but I, I like that feeling very much. Like when people speak to you about their homes, what's the sort of most common worry or concern that they have? Um, oh, that's an interesting one. Uh, it used to be about. It's really interesting that actually because it used to always be about their value of their home. People would always be, always, like, you know, clicking up how much it's worth, how much it's worth, mm. will this add value? And people are less motivated by that now, I think. That's interesting. Interesting. But um, I suppose I suppose the big one thing that I really, I often see, particularly in, in city homes, because obviously in the countryside people have more space, but, but in, um, in cities you know, every square inch is worth a fortune, isn't it? Because everything matters. Um, but I suppose, I think often people extend houses when they don't need to because uh, they feel they need more space because the space they have isn't working mm. and the solution is to have more space. Um, so there's a lot of extensions that go on, particularly, you know, the Vic- standard Victorian terrace, mm. you get the two bed, three bed, four bed, you know, they're all roughly the same Victorian terrace. Um yeah. And then there's the big push out at the back with a massive open plan space, which people think they want. But actually, when they then do it, they actually then go, oh, actually, now we've got a massive echoey space. So acoustics, that's one of the things I'm really obsessed by. Acoustics. So you have this sort of really echoey space where everyone's shouting, if you've got a big family, and everyone's talking, and everyone's shouting, and it's all bouncing around the noise. Yes. And there's nowhere to get away because they've knocked everything through. Yes. So... I think um, the one thing uh, people talk to me a lot about is why their homes don't work. And I think it's often because they've done too much open plan living Mm. and actually want zoned living and different, like, escape places to get to. Yes. And I think... An escape place would be great. (laughs) Sorry, say that again. I love an escape place. (laughs) (laughs) Escape room. (laughs) Yeah, I would really like that. I've realised as well, like, not even our... Our loos don't even have locks on them or anything. There's literally no escape place properly. <laughs> Not really officially here. <laughs> you need a garden shed. Oh, I do. <laughs> on the roof or something. Yeah. Like hidden. Yes. Behind, a, behind a fake bookshelf. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's definitely what I've actually... I remember when the children were little, <laughs> once or twice, um, maybe maybe more than that, I'd go into the bathroom and lock the door in, um, in Rise and... Graham would come and go, are you all right? And I'd go, yeah, you know, I'm fine. I'm not very well. I'm not very well. I was I was lying on the floor reading magazines. <laughs> <laughs> just need you that You do the tea, kids' tea. I'm just, uh, I'm just really unwell in the bathroom. <laughs> well, because you've had your kids so close together, 
when you think but is it like this little like blur of like these small people all growing up together it's that's a very different thing to what I've got here yeah it is I'm kind of fascinated by your kids because they're really quite far apart yeah aren't they? yeah my youngest is three so the, the, the spread is really yeah far-reaching um is that magic? I bet it is. It's got some really good aspects and some bits that are a bit trickier. So the bits that are trickier is um, is doing stuff that's all age-appropriate. You know, we don't really... Board games, things like that, that like doesn't really happen. Um, anything where, you know, any little projects, they have to be put so high up in between whilst because otherwise a small person is likely to destroy things. So the kids are used to a lot of transients with, um, with projects. Um, but the thing I really like is the juxtaposition of, like, the same week that my eldest had his first driving lesson, my youngest started nursery. And I like, I like that scope because I find that really pleasing and it's like the battle keeping getting passed on and I'm used to having a small person in the family. I really need my brother and sister to get started so that there's another small person and I can I not think it should be me again. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they need to take up the baton. I sort of, I really understand where you're coming from because I think there's a, there's a sort of self-perpetuating uh, thing which is very comforting. I've got a really big extended family and I love the fact that uh, at most birthday parties or Christmas or Easter or anything, there's a sort of someone who covers almost every age. Yeah, that's and, lovely. And then there's a new baby that's just popped out somewhere and you think, oh, that's wonderful. And then it sort of makes that much older people like my dad who are, you know, much much older and he's 84 now but it kind of feels right that it's all just coming through as a sort of yeah like a journey so I I think um yeah I often, you know I kind of sort of wanted to have more children but um but Graham said that I'd have to have them with my next husband and I didn't figure I'd find another <laughs> husband with four kids so, so I thought I'll stick with you then um but yeah um I think I had them really close together partly because I was a bit greedy and once I'd once I'd established the fact that I was going to have one. I was like, well, I'm, I wanted to have six, really. But but then I realised that the Waltons is actually edited. Because in my dream, I thought it would be like the Waltons <laughs> having kids. And then I, right. I realised it's actually not a documentary at all, the Waltons. No, no it's completely... It, no, Night John Boy, Night Pop. Yeah. yeah. No, that's not really happening. But also, no. the big benefit you've got with having your close together is they've, they've lived the dream. They've formed a band. Well, I mean, that is the dream. Come on, I mean, that I is amazing. Say. It, it is kind of amazing. And the band is unbelievable. I mean, I, we've kind of pushed music. You know, no child plays music because they want to. They might hit some, you know, some, someone, but they're not going to, you know, to get through your grades on the piano, it's really hard work or any instrument. Mm. And, you know, it's a lie to say that music completely comes naturally to anyone because it is encouraged. And particularly, I think, um, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's, it has to be encouraged? I think you're right. And I think I've really um, missed the boat, probably. I, uh, I've been very relaxed about practising. And I know, I do understand that you've got to do that. But I feel like maybe because Richard and I are both musicians, I felt like it was almost too obvious that the kids would all do that. So I've kind of gone probably the other way and just left lots of instruments lying around to see what happens. And the result is I do not have a band in my <laughs> You might do. Do any of them play anything? Yeah, the third one down does a bit of guitar. My fourth one does a bit of piano. Um, my eldest two kept refusing, so I just I just stopped after a while. They've got other things they're interested in. but and My eldest actually loves music very much, but he doesn't play anything. So we'll see. But, but there's other <laughs> ways to go with music now, I think. Yeah. I suppose I, maybe if... Um, I suppose 
Graham had a was in a band when he was young and he had a, an unfinished business there and and I guess I slightly felt that um I sort of recognize if you don't get to a certain point on the piano uh, by a certain age like I played the piano till I was about 13 or 14 and um then stopped and really regretted it okay. because I never got good enough to be able to jam and yeah. and I was the, and I I suppose my frustration in my childhood I've taken it out on my kids and made them get you know made them practice but but then there's a point where they love it and yeah I think them performing together is just it's magical um you know I saw it in the program I just thought that's so lovely it's really really adorable (laughs) well it it isn't always lovely there's a lot of arguing (laughs) with it it. but um but they do love it and and I don't know quite what happened because some, somewhere along the line they wrote this song the only reason they did that song they'd been writing songs but when we did the show um they wanted to film the boys singing and and um and anyway they couldn't put a cover because there wasn't enough money to pay for doing a cover for the show because you have to obviously pay for the rights to it mm-hmm. so they said so the production company said look what are you going to do? And they went, oh, we'll just do one of our songs then because there isn't any budget for, for using a cover. So they wrote one of their songs. And then all of a sudden, I don't quite know what happened, but they wrote, it was, they had various songs like bubbling away, but they had Break, which was their first song. And they yeah. thought, oh, well, if it's going to go on the show, we'll release it. So they, they did it themselves on the, like, their laptop. And, um, and then they released it. And then amazingly, somehow or another, it ended up hitting number one in the rock tunes. Amazing. Thing. And I was like, Poof. How did that happen? That's know. so cool. Anyway, it's been kind of an amazing journey. And I mean, Graham absolutely loves it. I have to say, he does love it. Although he gets so cross at them because they don't do as they're told. But, um, <laughs> is he a bass player, Graham? Is that his instrument? He, is, he was a singer when okay. he was about 18 or 19. Um, and, then, and then he didn't play for years. He did, he's not trained in music, right. really. Um, but he took up the bass because our second son, Charlie, is now the singer. Right. <laughs> has kicked Graham off. He's like, okay, so you're not, uh, you're not the singer. So Charlie's singer. So he's taken up the bass. Cool. But he thinks it's really brilliant. He does, um, he does online lessons. So he goes, he's got this online tutor somewhere okay. or other with lessons. It's not a person. It's like a, like oh, a set okay. of courses. Yeah, yeah. And so he, um, he goes, we've got a music room here. And he goes in and I can hear him there going, and he's watching the screen and he's... <laughs> That's he's on so lesson brilliant. 25. 25, yeah. that's good. That's it's good. good he's it? probably played all four strings by now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, he's doing really well. It's, um, it's really cool. Anyway, they had a, they've had an amazing summer because they played, um, so they played, uh, they played at Carfest North oh, and Carfest yeah. South. Oh, I was at Carfest. Was... Incredible. Oh, were you there? Yeah, as well? yeah, I was there on the Friday night. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, oh that's really annoying that they were, they were there on the Saturday. Sunday the first time and the Saturday the second time. Ah. You were on Friday both times, were you? Uh, I only did the South and I was there on the Friday. But it's a lovely festival oh. and I bet they had a brilliant time. Oh, it was mind-blowing. I mean, you've done lots of things like that, but for them, I mean, it blew their head. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, yeah. No, that's I think, so um, lovely. Because whenever people say to me, oh, you've got, you know, five sons, they always say, oh, five-a-side football or something like this. But my kids aren't really that interested in football, so I always say, oh, no, a band. And I'm very reassured that that is sometimes what really happens. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I don't know if it will last forever because they they thought it was a... It was a sort of kind of vaguely unwittingly called themselves the Entitled Sons. And and now I wonder if they're actually just actually just acting out the name of their band sometimes. <laughs> so like, I think it's brilliant. Okay, it was meant to be ironic. Uh, I think it's kind of genius. So, um, 
I was thinking about your time in, in the countryside and how, I might be wrong, but is it quite similar how you're, how you're living now to how you were brought up? Is it, because like, when I sort of read you describe your child as like the good life with, you had animals and vegetables growing and sort of, is it quite similar or? Um, well, kind in my head it is, but I always think I look at life in a, through sort of sepia glasses and, um, and, I look back now and think, I think, oh, yes, it's like that. It wasn't like this. You know, you give your children the childhood you wish you'd had and they'll do the same, I always think. Yeah. And so this is, um, I mean, it is in some ways, but they are, my parents were self-sufficient and we had no money at all. And, you know, my children are much more fortunate, to be honest. Is it right and your parents used to make doll's house furniture? Yeah, they did. That's amazing. Yeah, they, well, they did... Lots of kind of crafty things. So they, at one stage, they made dolls' house furniture, but it was collectors' items, mm-hmm. not not children's to for children to play with. Because there's a whole world of people who collect dolls' house furniture, like yes. grown ups, and take it very seriously. And children actually yeah. aren't even really welcome in those shops. Like it's like a do not touch kind of environment. Totally, and that's where. So my childhood was going around these craft fairs, which they'd they'd be selling their stuff, and I wasn't allowed. You know, we would like stuff behind the counter thing, and we were told to sit there and be quiet. And um, and then we go to Covent Garden. There was a Dolls House. Yes, shop I know the- that one. That's the one I was thinking of when I said about you're not allowed to touch. Because so my yeah. mum would take me in that shop as well, and I was fascinated <laughs> by it. But the woman in there was incredibly grumpy just to see anyone under the age of like I don't know. 30. 40. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> looking at this furniture. And I'd pick things up and have a little look and this woman would be looking at me daggers, like, put that stuff down. Incredible <laughs> shop, though. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, that's the shop. That's the shop that wow. I had to go to as well with my parents. And then Amazing. they'd sell their stuff there, so they'd take it in. And I'd I'd be kind of told to stand very still and not touch anything. Yeah, don't I'm breathe like, on anything. anything. Oh, my God. But, yeah, we'd, it's like a whole world. So, yes, they did... Um, they did do that. And they did, they made um, uh, like baby walkers as well and like tricycles, like wooden ones. Like stroller type things with like the trays. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I suppose that's, was, I mean, it sounds really kind of fascinating. I, I actually love miniatures and doll's house stuff anyway. So to me, I find that quite magical. I think I mean, a lot of that around the house. Mm, actually, <laughs> actually, it's much better in theory than practice. So my parents made two doll's houses mm-hmm. for two different people and, um, and one of them was sent to America. They were commissioned by people. Mm-hmm. And the other one was commissioned by somebody else, a copy of her house. Mm-hmm. Anyway, by an incredibly long story, which I won't bore you with, it ended up coming back to me, this doll's house, about six months ago. Oh, and wow. now I've got a massive doll's house, which has got all the furniture in. And if I'm really honest, you don't want it, because now I don't know what to do with it. And it just sits in the kitchen. And then I moved it to the other room. And I thought, God, I'm so glad we've got quite a big house, because it's enormous. And mm. And now I've just like I've got this doll's house, and now I'm just I keep saying to my niece, "Do you want the doll's house?" And she's like, "No, I don't." And I'm like, "Oh God, I've got this massive doll's house." Well, I don't know what you do with a doll's house. Uh, it just sort of sits there. I don't know. It kind of sounds like the dream. I have got I've bought a couple uh, like little ones um, that I've got on a shelf. I had this idea that I would get a whole row of them, like a little run of houses. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anything anything that's really sort of precious would not last. Like sometimes in our charity shop, they sell doll's houses. And they're always in really good condition. And it just makes me feel bad because my kids just seem to just, a lot of things just get destroyed. Like the windows would get broken, the door would get pulled off. It wouldn't be good yeah. enough to pass on to anybody, basically. But I do like the and idea do you know of that. that do you know, I think that might be about boys. boys in a, I, someone said, um, boys, boys trash your house and girls trash your head. 
I, I think that might be true. Because I don't have anything that isn't broken. I kind of look around and, boy, they're so destructive. It's, there's, I kind of think, yeah, I don't have any toys that they had as, a, as children that haven't been kind of dismantled and made into something else, but not very well made. I mean, they're not yeah. creative, it's more destructive. Yeah, it's interesting um, because I always, I always fight their corner with the kids because people have got such an idea of what raising boys must be like that I'm always sort of pushing back and saying, you know, people go, five boys, and I'll go, five of anything. Or they'll say, oh, I, you know, was it they say boys leave and girls remain? What's the thing they say about boys no, leave their mums? Yes, it's so annoying. That? So annoying. Like, that's a great one. Literally, you've just given birth to a baby, and they're like, he'll be gone. <laughs> it's like, people say it, like, literally, so as soon as you have them, like, oh, thanks for that. Um, but I always push back, but then every once in a while, when everything is a bit noisy, and they're, like, fighting with each other, and things are getting thrown on the floor and breaking, I'm like, this is exactly what people think I live with, and can you please stop it? Because I don't want you to be so such a, like, cliche of what raising four, five sons must be like, but sometimes that is my reality. But then maybe girls would do it too. I don't know. It's hard to say, isn't it? I only know what I know. <laughs> well, exactly. It's so true. You only know what you know. But I sort of think in some ways, well, there is a moment where they, you know, that kind of brawl. They like, We had kittens recently and they were all rolling around. And I thought that is just like you children. They're just exactly the same. Definitely. Sort of, yeah. They actually do like rolling around and fighting. Yes. You know, that, that is, you know, even like... Like even my eighteen year old is very happy to fight. That's really fun for him. That's, yeah. You know, he likes that very much. And I think maybe some girl there are girls who like doing it as well. I just don't see you don't often see groups of girls who do it's it. It's so true, you just don't really see like a group of girls just sort of rolling around the floor. It just doesn't happen in the same way. Oh, I've been kidding myself all this time. <laughs> I should just but give over also, to it. boys are very good at not remembering things. I quite like that about them. They, I think, I mean, there are stereotypes between boys and girls. I think, and and I do think it is true. And and when I look at my sons, I think they're all different. But there is a bit of a, you know, they they don't tend to hold grudges, and they're and you know they get out, they get bored of being in a bad mood quite easily. Yeah. They don't remember last week when someone said something to them. They're like, what? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. You know, they. They. Sort of move on quite easily. That might might also be big family life. I think you haven't got time to hold on to stuff in the same way because things move at such a pace and there's always so much activity and new things to think about. You haven't really got time to dwell on what went before, really, have you? Actually, that's probably that's completely true. And actually, I I do I wonder whether a big family is probably more the thing I. I don't know about you, but what I love is the, the big family, not so much the boy family. I mean, the boys, great, yeah. you know, boys, girls, whatever. But a big family is really magic because I love the noise and I love Me the too. energy and I love the kind of, um, the fact there's always something fresh and there's always something new and and there's always an opportunity for someone somewhere. You would always, you know, spinning plates, you always let them drop because something's dropped and you just think, oh no, I didn't do that. But there's always something else coming along. Yeah. And and that's kind of fun and exciting because someone's got a new adventure. And even if someone's adventure didn't quite work out this week, someone else has got a new adventure. It's true. And that person will be all right because, because a new adventure will come for them too. Yes. No, I'm totally with you. It's the big family life energy that I really, I really love. And I sort of, I was kind of an only child till I was about eight. Um, not kind of, I was. I was an only child till I was eight. <laughs> and I think I always loved the... Once I had my baby brother, it was like just having that that energy in the house made me it made everything better for me. 
Um, but I did want to ask you, because I've spoken to a few guests now where they've lost a parent at a really significant time and everybody's got a different interpretation of, of what, that, what the legacy of that is. And I was talking the other day to um, a writer called Dawn O'Porter and she lost her mum when she was seven. And she said that actually it filled her with a lot of drive and a lot of uh, joie de vivre, like it really made her seize the day. And I know you lost your mum when, I mean, she was only 39, your mum, when you returned. That is so young. But it sounds like you had an amazing relationship with her in those first 10 years and it's sort of really given you this feeling of like doing stuff and wanting to do things for both of you in a way. Yeah, it's funny because I think, um, well, you, when you're a child, you only know what you know. So, um, and and I guess you, you, you live in the present, I think. When you get older and you're an adult, you can understand the concept of the future better. Whereas children, you just live day to day and then, you know, one day then your mum's dead and then, and then you're like, oh, and then you kind of move on with the next thing. And then you suffer loss later, I think, whereas um, because you don't really completely understand it then and then there's holes in your life further on down the line you think oh god where's oh that's that what that's the uh, the advantage with it i always think my brother and i always laugh about this because the advantage is that um my mother was beautiful and gorgeous and and she's the perfect grandmother i talk to my children a lot about grandma Anne, so she still exists because she's still very much alive because we talk about her Mm -hmm. but she's flipping perfect i mean she (laughs) and i think there's no way she's as perfect as the image of of grandma Anne. so she'd you know she would be the granny he'd she'd have like pay for all our school fees she'd be cleaning the house we'd go on holiday she'd have spring cleaned the house she'd redecorate she'd plant the garden she'd be doing she'd have taught them all to read she'd have taught them all the piano she'd do all their homework and do the school run every day and she'd probably be grateful for it actually and cook supper oh she'd be literally perfect she is she's really saintly actually i think yeah there's a little halo somewhere above her head (laughs) and in a way i kind of think you know you wouldn't choose it obviously, because it's really, really sad. But I think um, in some ways life happens as it happens. And, you know, it doesn't mean that there isn't times where there's really big holes along the way, but it definitely does make you impatient and driven. And I always thought, well, I probably wouldn't live past 39 because my mum didn't. And then I got to 39 and had a terrible kind of moment where I was like, oh, oh, shit, I still seem to be here. Oh, that's weird. Um, So that was kind of really... Hitting 40 was really weird for me, um, but uh, I packed in all the kids. So I'd had four kids and had several jobs and careers and, and businesses, and I packed it all in really... Yes, I do think, all right, you make it, it gets you very impatient to kind of get things done in case you don't have later time later. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of weird, but, but then, yeah... I. But then now I'm 50, which is amazing. So it's now kind of in the past. Um, yeah, and it makes you aware of the privilege of getting older as well, because it is it's such a privilege, isn't it? Time is like the most amazing thing. Oh, well, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, that's the thing that, you know, time is, time is everything, isn't it, really? It is. And making the most of it, making the most of every day, I think. And I suppose that's what it, that's what it does do, I think, losing your mum when you're young. It, it, it gives you a lot of resilience. It makes you tough. You can move on because you can kind of find some steel inside to just go and up and on. Yeah. And that's really useful. And I guess it also seems to have really consolidated this relationship you have with your brother because he, he comes up in every article I was reading about, your brother's always there. And 
I'm a little bit fascinated by the fact that your so your brother is married to your sister in law, like your husband's wife sister, right? Have I said yeah. that right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even that complicated really. Two siblings, they both marry each other. Um but that is that is quite unusual, I think. Um do you know it is although when you do I mean I wasn't planned really, obviously. <laughs> kind of unusual but yeah. um but yeah in a way it's sort of really obvious in a way and I kind of think I'm surprised it doesn't happen more because you've got two families with yeah. similar kind of values yeah. and I mean it's easier if you if we were two brothers and two sisters everyone would get it it's because we're a brother and a sister and a brother and a sister and that yeah. makes it really complicated that's just why I said it's actually stupidly. just as simple most people would be able to say it a lot better than I did <laughs> you can see I the cogs whirring as I was as I was saying it out loud as you say it's actually really straightforward but also I think it sounds really sort of um there's something really wholesome about the idea of as you say these two families where it's like it, it just it just all kind of clicks it sounds really nice <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm really lucky. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not going to say it's not great. It is great. It's, it's amazing. And um, and I do think it's a, probably my greatest uh, privilege is is having um, them as as my uh, family. And they've got four kids who I we absolutely adore. So my, I've got four kids. My brother's got four kids. And they're all really, really, really best friends. Wow. And, and that is kind of magic. And I, you know, like Graham went up to London last week and... Um, and so my second son, Charlie, somewhat amazingly, it does sound like I'm sort of name dropping here, which sounds really nauseating. But anyway, it, it's, it was amazing. He did a bit of modelling for London Fashion Week. It's really um, cool. Anyway, which was sort of, I know it sounds a bit silly, but anyway, it, he was amazing. But um, I couldn't go because my elder son had an ear operation. So I was in the hospital with him. It's a very dramatic sort of night. But anyway, um, but my nephew, so my brother's, son who lives in London went with Graham and they watched Charlie and then they all went out to supper and they had a really lovely time and I thought we've got kind of got this massive family where like anyone can step in and then my youngest two went up to go and see the Queen um, and say goodbye and and I got a text from my brother who happened to have gone up to London to see the Queen I went oh god you're in the queue brilliant because Raffi and Laurie are coming up oh that's brilliant could you find them and he's he scooped them up and then he had took them for the like we've got a little tiny place we share in London and he took them back and then the next one I said are you taking them back to school and he went no school's boring I'm taking them out to breakfast instead ah. <laughs> I was like, that is not a good thing an uncle should do and he went yeah I think it is what an it's uncle should do very much what an uncle should do yeah I like it <laughs> and and I just think we're so uh, you know it's so lucky because we kind of swap each other's kids and they're all really good friends mm. and, and and I adore my family so yeah that's something that you know, there's no price you can put on that, can you? No, I think it's incredible. And I think also the, the kind of invisible armour that it gives people, like as you send them out into the world, if they've got, if they come from that, it's a really precious thing, actually. I think there's a lot of good in having that around you. It's like a little aura, isn't it, that you carry if you've got a big supportive family. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I think it gives you, well, it gives you foundations, doesn't mm. it? Like really deep roots to because you know that someone will be there and it, it's emotion. It's not, it's not that they need them to be, it's not even financially or physically, it's emotionally you know that someone's kind of got your back and someone believes in you. Yeah. I often think with people who don't have any, anyone who cares for them, how unbelievably hard it must be to be completely rootless so that you've got, I just think that would be, I've, feel very strongly about 
people who are completely on their own and how mm. unbelievably lonely it must be. Because yeah. that's very, very hard. Because you can have resilience against anything if you've got some of you together. But on your own, it's very hard. You know, you see a, a, one child at school when they're bullied, and I always think, that's so terrible because you just need them to have one friend because two yeah. of them, no one will bully. Um, and, no, yeah. you're right. That, that, it's, yeah, the idea of that, like, as you say, that rootlessness is really really scary and sad idea and yeah it, it was that partly what motivated you setting up the dating agency like the idea of people finding their other their person yeah it was I mean also because I'm nosy and like meddling in other people's affairs <laughs> <laughs> but I ran giving you ultimate access <laughs> sorry that again. gave you ultimate access to all these people <laughs> who are being set up by their friends so this is my my single friend.com isn't it yes yeah well I said that was years ago it was when um before really most of the dating sites that are out mm. now and it was really just I, I talked to friends you know you meet someone and you think oh god you'd really like my friend so-and-so and and then there was someone I met and I thought oh you'd really like my friend so-and-so and, and I thought how am I ever going to get them to meet and I couldn't work out how to I was thinking god it's going to be so complicated I'm going to have to get them to invite someone else yeah. to you know to a, and I was thinking this is so complicated and then I woke up in the night and thought why don't we just describe our single friends and we can swap all our single friends? And and it was designed, really, so we could people who have single friends could entertain yeah. themselves by swapping them. And then it kind of... We launched it and it, it just took off and it just was a... You know, it became, like, a really... You know, one of the... I think it was one of the main influencing um, websites that changed the way people felt about online dating because it wasn't embarrassing because yeah. you weren't describing yourself. And I think that's genius, actually. I think that's really genius, the idea of getting a friend to describe you. I think you're right, because that's the bit that's really cringy and awkward. And also, how do you do that about yourself, if, especially if you're not feeling particularly confident about yourself? Like, the idea of sitting down to kind of get your adjectives out is just... Could be really, no. it could really paralyse you, couldn't it? Like, ah, this is why I don't want to do this, I don't want to put myself out there. But getting your friend to do it is really nice. Yeah, I think if you describe yourself, you either sound conceited or, <laughs> or a liar. And, yeah. and that's some, you know, that it's, there's no win, is there? You can't say I'm fabulous because that's just horrible. Yeah. And if you're not very nice about yourself, then it sounds, it's just, you, it's really hard. So, yeah, I think it kind of, that's why it took off. But it was, it was a moment in time. It was, it was just the perfect moment to launch that business, if I'm honest. And I guess that's the thing I, I'm really interested in and the thing I like most. You get, I think once the, as the children get older, they, um, they take more time. I don't know if you find this because, you know, little children, when they're tiny, you think they take up all your time. But actually, they go to bed at like 7.30 in the cot or 8 o'clock. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you have brain space. Whereas when they get older, they occupy your brain literally 24 7 so yeah. um so I think as I've got older I've had less time because I'm thinking about them more I'm not worried about you know do they have their you know I don't know have they got lego right or it's the, <laughs> their little problems aren't they when they're yes. little and they're when they're older it's like god is this the right career for them that's like a totally should they go to university or not that's like you know, yeah kind of bigger things um but at the time uh I had more time and I I like seeing gaps in markets and I suppose all the businesses I've been involved in has been based on the frustration that it doesn't exist already. And then mm. you just think, well, why is that not there? So then then you do it yourself. So have you got more things like that that you're thinking about at the moment? Um, 
Yeah, it changes now. So now, so I had another online estate agent that that sold a while ago, um, and and when we moved down to Somerset, we decluttered life. Generally, we had all this stuff. So we had a wedding venue, our house in Rice in Yorkshire. We it was a wedding venue. We sold that, and we sold kind of decluttered everything, and then we all ended up here. Um, but I've got lots of other plans afoot. I really want to do. Um, I want to have a, a festival here next year. Um, oh, that'd be amazing! But which would be think amazing. I know who's going yeah, to be headlining. Maybe I can talk to you about it. <laughs> would you, could I get you to come and sing? Yeah, I can come and sing. I've got, ah! Will I be on just before the headline act of the Entitled Sons? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think they'd definitely be warming up for you. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'd kind of like to do that. I've got a bit of a plan to do that with. Um, but I'd like to focus it more on young people and what I. I think there's a bit of a disconnect between what older people think young people want they don't listen so much mm-hmm. so um so i've got kind of it's not just a music festival i'd like it to be about um about uh, branding and fashion and you know and younger people's view of that so that's kind of one of my plans that sounds great and definitely count me in i would love to do that oh, brilliant bring the kids i might have to uh bore you and bring you about that <laughs> yeah yeah do it do it no that sounds great and i like i like the idea of as you say like incorporating lots of different things so you can get people to think a bit more about you know, just connecting them with, with the next generation and what's what's important to them and how they're thinking about life. That yeah, because really I think we have a... There's a little bit of a tendency, I say, sort of, you're much younger than me, I am, but... Um, Not but much in younger. My age I'm 43. <laughs> but um, but people talk... We don't up talk to children. We don't ask them what they think. We talk about... You know, you endlessly hear about adults talking about children's mental health problems. I'm like, well, why, where are the children talking about that? Like, where are the young people? I sort of think we should listen more because they are the future, aren't they? Yes. And, and my slight frustration with... You know, I'm not going to talk about politics because that's like a hot potato at the moment, isn't <laughs> it? But, you know, there, there's a lot of people talking and no-one's kind of asking people what's going on. They're just telling everyone what's happening. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. And also all that information is really exhausting for, for kids as well, actually. I think, I mean, it's a barrage of, uh, you know, probably because we're now being encouraged, which, if, you know, it's primarily good and it's well-intentioned, but to talk a lot more about mental health and all these things, it means that sometimes I've probably had conversations with my kids slightly at them in that slightly nervous way of like, oh, I, I want to make sure we've talked about this because I know that this is important and then they're kind of looking at me a bit like, you know, I could sort of see behind their eyes, like cartoon style, like all the stuff, the words piling in. They're like, I'm really happy you're interested in this, but I'm just trying to finish my muesli before I go to college and I don't really want to talk about this right now. So sometimes it's kind of a bit bit much, probably. Yeah, you know, you're so right. But I think that's partly because you're, I think if you're quite a strong, you know, you're a strong woman with sons and you want to make sure that they, I don't know, you have a, I don't know whether this is true, but I... I I, I think maybe you want to make sure that that those opinions they understand that these are relevant opinions and so sometimes I sort of like I think you're kind of like I sometimes go on to them about about kind of women's rights and things and they're like oh yeah no we get it mum and I'm like oh oh yeah sorry yes yeah, so, I do sorry, exactly the same thing that. I do exactly the same thing just there's just infam- I think I'm like a radio that's left on quite often to be honest it's <laughs> like a sort of constant stream of stuff <laughs> and actually my eldest I think I think my last birthday he signed it from something like lots of love from your psychotherapist or something because I basically go into Sonny's room at the end of most days and sort of do a bit of a debrief and Mostly, actually, he's kind of like a counsellor in that he doesn't say a 
lot. He's just listening, nodding occasionally, mm-hmm, while I kind of wit around a topic, sort of wear myself out and then leave again. <laughs> so, that's so familiar. He should really get together with Billy. They'd both be like, oh my God, we've been so damaged by our parents. Yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. Our mothers have driven us mad. Our mums talk a lot, don't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too much information all the time. <laughs> Occasionally they'll say to me, when I talk to them about something, they'll just go, we're just not that interested. Could you just stop? I know. And like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> or like, mum, thank you, but I'm literally just in the middle of something and you've walked into my room when I'm literally in the middle of a conversation with a friend online or something. You're like, oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but it does make them very good counsellors. It does, I, I think, actually, they're better boys for it because, um, cause, you know, when they, they are, you know, they're, People find them, boys like that who've had mothers who talk to them about everything, they're easy to get on with. Yes. No, no, God, yeah. And I, and I, and I feel like I even more need to represent every, you know, every future woman they might share a house with, really. Like, I've, got to be, I've got to be that spectrum for them. <laughs> so true. As mad as it might be. So true. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm very conscious of your time. I've been talking to you for a good while. And I also, I, between the time of when I first reached out to to get the chance to speak to you, because I've wanted to speak to you for absolutely ages. And now, you've obviously had your diagnosis with your cancer, and I'm so, I was so sorry to hear that. And I hope it's been okay that we haven't really spoken about it very much, but I just wanted to sort of send you a, a hug, really, because... Oh, thank you. I really... Um, yeah. Those pictures you put with your boys and how they've been supporting you and how open you've been with them, is it feels very similar to how I would deal with it. And I just, yeah, just really sort of sending you lots of good stuff, really. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, it was um, it was a bit of a, a shock. But oh, I suppose it was a shock in a way. It wasn't really a shock in some ways because I kind of always expected... After my mother had breast cancer, I always thought it's going to happen one day. And um, and uh, then... But you don't really expect it. And Although when you walk into the room and they look at you with those eyes, even with a mask, they look at you with those eyes and you're like, oh, I know those eyes. And you just go, it's yes, isn't it? And they go, yes. And you go, oh, yeah. But actually, it's a funny journey because... Um, so I decided to release an, uh, st- the article on it because I thought I did. I wanted to own the story and I wanted to say it in my way. I didn't realise it was going to go on the front page of every newsroom. I thought it would be like page 17 or something. And then it was like everywhere. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't expect that at all. Yeah. Um, but um, I kind of, for a minute, I thought I might not tell anyone. And then once I'd realised I obviously couldn't do that and I was going to tell the kids then I thought well I don't see why they should have to keep it a secret they should be able to talk to anyone yeah so if I'm going to talk to everyone then I might as well talk to everyone everyone because I can't see how you can keep it in a pot and not in a pot um so yeah so but actually it's been even in the short time you know that I've been undergoing treatment now um I've learned so much about it Mm. and um and I think the one thing I'd say is that I was so scared of breast cancer and and the treatment is so amazing now. Yeah. And I think um, we, you know, I was living with with haunting memories of the fact that my mother died 40 years ago from breast cancer. And I assumed if I got breast cancer, you know, they say you've got breast cancer, you hear, what coffin would you like? And that isn't the case nowadays. So no. the fear isn't... We don't need to be scared. We need to be vigilant and check. Yeah. I'd say just make sure you check and make sure you have a biopsy if you have a lump. Always, always. But um, but actually, the journey is, um, you know, I don't even like calling it a journey. I'm calling it a blip because it's not even a journey. A journey is something nice, isn't it? This is just a little <laughs> blip. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the hair, which now I am 
actually completely bald, which is kind of weird. Although it sort of, most of it falls out. And then my son shaved it completely uh, a few nights ago, which is, so now it's like totally, it's kind of smooth and weird. But it's very cold at night. But um, oh. And your son did some... it for you, did you say? Sorry? You said one of your sons did your hair for you. Yes, yeah, so they, first of all, they cut it off after my first uh, chemo. Mm. They, I put it in little bunches because yeah. you could make it longer and then I sent it to a charity to make a wig. So then it was kind of just like a short haircut. And then, um, and then it starts falling out after, it was about uh, two and a half weeks. I woke up and the bed was just full of hair and I was like, oh, this is, yeah. this is... And then it literally comes out in handfuls and I was like, okay, that's just... And then you get little bits left and yeah. that's worse because then you've got like, tiny bits and so then um I took to it with the dog clippers which was a little bit longer than <laughs> they were about sort of a, a centimeter and then and then um, I got a razor you know like a tool it's now completely smooth so um because you've got like lumps of weird bits of hair but um but yeah my son did that he did it like with this shavy thing but um it's fine if it wasn't for that actually you know, you're a bit tired, but, you know, I'm really lucky. My diagnosis is really great and really amazing because it's not in my lymph, which is so fortunate. Yeah, it's very significant. And so, you know, it's just a bit, it's just a kind of weird... My head's going off in, like, lots of different satellites from things you've said and what I want to pick up on. Firstly, I think, I think most people have got an experience with cancer that has left them very afraid of the word. And I think that thing you said about, you know, that sort of... I mean, humans can be so complex, but we can also be really simple and a little bit illogical. And like you said about approaching the birthday that was, you know, the same age your mum was when she died. There's this, we do sort of have this thing where in our, somewhere in our heads we think there's a narrative that awaits us and what's gone before is probably what's going to happen again. And just like you, um, I've always had it. I had, I lost my grandma when she was young and I had cancer and I always thought, right, that's going to be me. I was 11 when she died and I was like, well, that'll be me. That's literally going to be what, what was going to happen to me so that thing of waiting waiting for that moment I totally understand that but also information with this is really powerful and as you said once you go and you see you meet your team of people these experts who spent hours and months and years researching exactly the best way to treat things when you really listen to it you know there's actually a lot more good stuff out there in terms of how things are treated and once you've got that information, you'll, you'll break down the fear a little bit, which is built up through years and years of us learning that, you know, sometimes cancer is the most terrifying thing, but sometimes it's something, as you say, a blip that's treatable and get through. But the other thing I was going to say <laughs> is that your story was never going to be on page 17 because you've been part of everybody's lives for so long and you've always been a very calming, wise presence. So I think you know, people really care about you. So that's why it was front page, not page 17. <laughs> oh, you're very kind. It's very, very much too kind, I think. But thank you. But, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, I think it's it's um, a weird moment. I think you come out of having cancer probably a better person than when you went in. So um, I, yeah, it makes you appreciate life as well. And and I feel very, 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 very grateful that um, that my mother died 40 years ago and all the other people died 40 years ago so that they invested so much time and money into cures so that I will see my grandchildren, even though she didn't see hers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they, that, that day will come. And as you say, like there's been so much research and 
all these very very clever people sorting it out so that everybody can get to have that next bit and and as you say like that when you come out the other side of cancer you probably find yourself meeting people and they say oh yeah that I had that seven years ago that was my meet you know last year and you think oh there's actually all these people walking around and that's part of their story too yeah, I think that's true. And and actually, even the even the sort of there was one moment where I mean, I recognise completely that you know I'm the age I am, which means that that you know I, I won't. This would it, it would affect the fact that you could or couldn't have children. But I've had lots of children, so I'm fine. So it's not a my you know I've got so many ways. I'm so so fortunate. And for someone else, I, I recognise that um, that you know cancer diagnosis. I'm not being flippant about other people's diagnosis no, no, because that. it's so much worse in, in so many situations. Mm-hmm. But this, my particular one is, you know, better than most people, which I'm very, very lucky for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's so diverse. You know, we now, you look at one end of the spectrum where you've got a slightly dodgy mole and and the other end of the spectrum and it's all called cancer. Yeah. And I think we need to kind of like somehow try, I mean, living with an absolute fear of cancer is kind of worse than... <laughs> than having it in a way because I and I kind of think it's the, it's the fear that yeah and I I think um it's really exciting how far we've come and also there's other things that I've learned along the way which you know there was one moment where I they had to do some tests because they thought it might have spread elsewhere and I was really I'd had some I've had a few moments where I've really kind of had a bit of a a breakdown with it and I was with my brother and um Anyway, he found me. I'd had the phone call and they said, yeah, we think it might be elsewhere. And I was really upset. And my brother came in. I was a bit upset. Anyway, he ran out, got a bottle of rosé, came back and went, right, I've got a bottle of rosé. <laughs> I was like, brilliant, that's so excellent. And, um, and as he said, he said, you know, the thing is, is even if it has, the treatment, you know, it, it's not like it's tomorrow. It would be like years, you know, years and years. Well, they, so the treatments are not, there's endless treatments. And anyway, I was really lucky because it turned out not to be. And that was brilliant but he made me feel a lot better and I Aww. thought oh you are brilliant so yeah that yeah. is brilliant I'm, I'm glad you have that that team around you and I'm yeah. sure as well your your sons I think the fact you're talking to them about it is already helping to break down that association we have with with the diagnosis because they will take that information and then they'll be able to be the ones turning up with rosé one day <laughs> yes exactly exactly <laughs> Guys, sorry, oh, Mickey, let me just do this, yes? Guys, sorry to jump straight back into the here and now, but I've just taken my cake out and it looks, it looks pretty good. It came out the cake. It's got to... Yep, you will. Uh, cake's looking good. It's a salted carrot... Sorry, that's Mickey movies. Mickey, do you have to move that now? Where do you want to put it? Back where it goes. Oh, you like tidying up, don't you? Um, my yeah, my cake is a salted caramel cake, and in a shocking twist of fate, it actually looks like it's going to look like the picture. I've never had that happen to me before. I'm not the baker in the family, um, and I'm usually a little impatient. But this was a really nice recipe, so I'll take a picture of it. Put it on Insta. It's going to be Insta worthy. Anyway, wasn't that a lovely conversation with Sarah? Isn't she just very calm, reassuring presence? And hang on, hold on, Jessie. My friend at Yeah? My friend at school is called Sarah. Really? Oh, Jessie's got a friend at school called Sarah. Is she very lovely as well? Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, I've really loved talking to her. One of those people where you can, pick, you know, immediately get on with and picture yourself 
talking to you more. So that was a really nice, nice thing for me. And I'm so um, relieved and happy to hear that her prognosis is so good as well. That's, that's a really good thing. So le- yes, let's get planning the festival. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm very aware that I'm in another noisy kitchen. You want the little house? Yeah. I've got all these little knickknacks up high. Hold on, Jessie, I'll help you in a second. All these little knickknacks up high, and Mickey's always looking up now and going, I want to try that. Then he gets them down, and there's some dodgy bit of, I don't know, something I've collected from the 1960s that falls apart in his hands as soon as he gets it, so he's normally a bit disappointed. I have come to the peaceful acknowledgement that pretty much everything in my house will break or be broken at some point, and that is fine. Anyway, in the meantime, have a really lovely rest of your day or your week, whatever you're up to. Um, I've been having quite a nice quiet week this week. I haven't done too much work. So I've been doing lots of sorty things. I did the attic. I've done the cupboard under the stairs where we put our shoes and our coats. I've done some drawers. It's felt good. Rich has been away all week and actually it's meant that I've got on with stuff. I'm not saying I don't miss him, but it has been... Uh, it's like a little viewing thing. Uh, yeah, I'll show you. Um, it has been quite nice to have some of my own company. Sorry to say it, but I do quite like it. Um, so that's been quite good. And yes, as I mentioned before, I've also managed to record a podcast one episode for a future week. So everything's been fine. I'll show you. Mickey's picked up a little viewing. It's like a little, looks like a little house, but it's a kind of, oh, it's lost its chimney. Oh, see, I told you everything breaks. You can't look inside because it can't move, but you can see the picture that's there. Look through that little hole. It's like an old, um, you know, those tourist things like viewing to see little photos of the area and it's like an old French little house um, and, it's, and it's broken. So there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, anyway, I'll let you get on. Thank you so much for coming to find me again. Um, oh, I'm going to end on that. Yay, Masher and the Bear Toys. Yes, darling, I'll buy you all of them. I won't buy him any of them. Uh, See you next week. Thank you for joining me. Thank you to lovely Ella May for my artwork, Richard for editing, Claire for producing, Sarah for being such an amazing guest, but mainly you, because you're the one who lended me your ears. Masha in the Bear House. Yes, Mickey. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 